Sylvia Schneider and Diana Belbar with Equinely Inclined, the equine podcast for the internet horse community. Episode 173, meet show jumping passionistas Kara Chad, Caitlin Philbrick, and Jane Huddleston. Recorded on November 5th, 2018. Brought to you in part by Pondside Digital Media with online strategy consulting and advising by sylviaschneider.ca. And this episode is also brought to you by you, our listeners, through your generous Patreon donations at patreon.com slash equinepodcast. Thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sylvia Schneider. And I'm Diana Belbar. This episode will include... Three fabulous interviews. We hear from aspiring show jumper, one of George Morris's clinic students, Caitlin Philbrick. And we get to meet Team Canada show jumper, Kara Chad. We hear from Jane Huddleston about show jumping through the decades. And we also have a little bit to say about the Chilliwack Main Event Expo. You know what I have to do, Diana? I have to actually wish my son, Avery... Happy birthday, because today is his birthday. There you go. (laughs) Now, uh, this son, Avery, uh, changed my life because he is my son that is allergic (laughs) to horses. No. (laughs) So so I just thought maybe I would wish him happy birthday and mention that little tidbit. Oh, so difficult. Oh, you know, Mm. you never know, eh? Mm. Anyway, well, I was enjoying a brief respite uh, in October from September's winter, and now it's back probably to stay for a while. Oh, yes, indeed. So I had to take a few days off work just so I could say I enjoyed a bit of autumn when we had that couple of weeks of good weather. Mm -hmm. And I also have one very keen young student chomping at the bit to ride. Really? Mm -hmm. Really still in the snow? Mm -hmm. She had her first lesson in the snow the other day and loved it so i'll keep working with her during our loveliest winter days yeah when it gets really bitterly cold and and windy maybe not (laughs) maybe not (laughs) well my beautiful break from winter came when i went to the main event in chilliwack bc as a matter of fact i got to revisit summer (laughs) and experience a much better autumn with much needed tree leaf color therapy oh i I do wish we had more color in the fall i wish you could have come yeah but uh, you know like i've gone down east too you have, uh, yeah. yeah. During October, mm-hmm. trying to catch leaf season. And I've tried it three times, and every year I've missed it. Oh, so, no. yeah, like some years you don't get color even down east. Wow. However, I must say that when we do get color around here, it blows off the trees right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well. <laughs> but you know, I did get to ride while you were what? away. What? <laughs> no way. When did that yeah. happen? You have to tell me more. Well, yeah. So it was because I had a young student who was still riding and yeah. she was having trouble picking up a left lead on Bailey. <gasps> on Bailey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my biggest horse. Okay. My biggest, widest horse. <laughs> okay, so here, I, I just have to interrupt because I, I think it was on my, I, I would love to know when this happened because I think I was on my way home. I don't know if we're connected that well, but... <laughs> I was thinking, gee, I wonder if Diana has had a chance to ride yet. Because, you know, like the season's winding down. And, mm-hmm. well, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess that, you know, she'd have to be on one of the smaller horses. She wouldn't <laughs> get on Bailey because Bailey would be too wide. Well, you know, that was the plan. And I think I recall telling people that I was going to Facebook it the first time I got up on oh, a horse again. Right? I wish you would have. And then, and then here there was this, yeah, opportunity just presented itself. And I just somehow thought why not so tell me what you did tell me i'm but it was funny you know because the young i mean she's just 12 Mm -hmm. this young student of mine and she said 
are you sure, Diana? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah, no, it'll be fine. And, you know, I hopped up, walked, trotted, cantered. And you it, cantered? You, and haven't, just, you haven't been on a horse for over a year. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Three. Oh, you're kidding. The oh last time goodness. I got up on a horse, I got stuck when yes, I mounted. I know. I couldn't get down that. again. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I swung up on Bailey and it felt fine. So I walked and I trotted and I thought, well, here we go. Well, and yeah, we cantered. I think you need to send a special thank you to the surgeon and to Doug for the physiotherapy yeah. that he did on you. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I wish I would have been there. Well, my goal was to ride before the yeah. winter hit. Yes. And so, You yeah. just made it. You just made it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I I envy you, and I really wish I would have been there. But I also really missed you at the main event. It was oh, yeah. difficult there without you, and I felt so guilty there. You know, being there, <laughs> well, you were missing everything. Um, I tried to do mm-hmm. some Facebook Lives, and when I did the <laughs> very first one with Gail Barker, uh, Facebook punked us and they uh, they turned it sideways and I know that people say that you know the the way you make sure that doesn't happen is to keep it steady but as Gail is my witness I kept that camera steady and it punked Aww. us anyway oh dear well I tried to key, uh, catch up with you actually mm-hmm. on some of the Facebook lives but I just never quite managed to connect yeah uh, oh well um you know I uh I managed to come away with about six interviews. Oh, good. Yeah, but I, I wasn't able to watch all the trainer sessions or even the finals. Not not even. <laughs> at all. Well, you know, I'm the one who usually does the trainers' challenges, and you can't drag me away from them. I know. So let's just say I spent some quality time watching Jonathan Field, George Morris, Juliet Cimetier, and I chatted with Shannon Duick, the dressage uh, clinician, just for fun. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was. I had a good time. Oh, good. And and I came away some interviews so yeah well you can't do it all no (laughs) that's for sure especially by yourself yeah yeah did you say you interviewed Jonathan? No, I didn't interview Jonathan this time, but I did watch. He did a kind of like a chat with George Morris in the middle of the round pan arena. And oh, you got to see that? That was fascinating. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's a, he's a great guy to interview, but we have had a couple. We have had a couple, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I didn't saw and heard is like way too much for one episode, but it'll probably crop up in the future episodes. So um, I will say I enjoyed watching Glenn Stewart during the equine experience that was amazing and I don't think I've seen that one before I think you have well, I saw um, a little bit of you were saying this is liberty work yes he did liberty work yeah. with a couple of his horses so I saw a little bit of that from Glenn before yeah but you're saying this was more full-on was it yeah and he he did it all to music there he didn't say oh, a cool. thing he didn't say he didn't oh, say a word so this was very thing. choreographed cool yeah uh another thing not likely to come up in a future episode was that I saw a little taste of the extreme cowboy race finals and a mounted archery demo it was cool cool stuff yeah really cool Hmm. so what about you diana (laughs) i hear you had some interesting results from a little barnyard process (laughs) you undertook you're talking about my fecal sampling of the herd (laughs) was that fun yeah (laughs) it was it was kind of funny you know i mean i had all 18 horses tied up for the farrier yeah right in a couple of groups and yeah I kept telling them, you don't get out of here until you poop, oh, right? No. I mean, you know, normally as soon as you bring a horse in, they poop. Yeah. You know, take them from one stall to another, yeah. put them in the trailer, yeah. wherever you bit them, they poop. Yeah. yeah. But that day, no. <laughs> no. So anyway, it took me a while before I managed to get them all collected, and I missed one. 
Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, we'll have to do an episode on deworming. It, it was fascinating what I learned. Yeah, oh, well, that sounds really, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll add that to the next episode for sure. All right. Okay, well, you know, I always like to uh, kind of prod our audience a little bit to be in touch with us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I always say, like, what are our listeners doing? What have they been up to? Um, what does November look like for you? Have you been to horse expos? Are you planning to go into any horse shows? <laughs> well, I want to know, has anyone else experienced a hip replacement and returned to riding? Oh, yeah, that would be good. Mm-hmm. You guys could compare notes. Yeah. Um, have you introduced someone new to horses since the last episode? I would love to know that. Absolutely. Um, And our newest listeners might be wondering how to be in touch with us. Mm, So for now, the easiest way for people to be in touch is via the Facebook page. And that might change, but not for a little bit. Well, I think that's probably the best way. Just leave us a message and we will be able to reply. Mm -hmm. And this seems like a good time to include our interview with Caitlin Philbrick. You're right, Diana. This episode is interviewlicious and with three interviews to get through, I guess we better get hustling. Mm -hmm. So um, I would love to have interviewed George Morris, but you know, we both know that he's a busy guy and that was not going to happen. Maybe next time i don't know uh in the meanwhile i figured well why not shine the spotlight on one of his students during the clinic he taught good idea yeah so i had such a great time chatting with caitlin let's listen to what she had to say well here i am at the uh, chilliwack main event and it's the 2018 edition and i am with caitlin philbrick And Caitlin, I kind of singled you out because you have ridden uh, a clinic here with George Morris. Yes, I have. (laughs) That is really special. It was. Yeah. So can you tell me, though, um, or let our listeners know a little bit about uh, who you are and how you started with horses and how you came to be here? All right. Um, I started riding when I was six years old. My parents put me in riding lessons in English and just rode at a lesson school. Um, did that for a few years and after we lessons were pretty expensive so we kind of stopped riding and I volunteered to be a trail riding and uh, I took people out on trail rides and oh, I volunteered yeah. <laughs> as a kid, you know, brushing horses, tacking yeah. them up. I think doing that really taught me how to be able to relax and take a breath while riding and yeah. after that I helped out at a sales barn for English horses jumping and that kind of got me back into the show world mm-hmm. got went to Thunderbird there with them so I was super lucky to have that opportunity mm-hmm. and then I from there graduated from high school and went to Olds College in Alberta and oh. did the equine science program and cool. got a very wide variety of training there with yep. western starting horses teaching them Wonderful. from foals um, all the way up to finishing a competition horse so you'd recommend that uh, course i i liked it and i got a lot out of it right. i utilized all the skills there when i bought my horse that i have now that uh-huh. i used in this clinic uh-huh. i i bought him and i used all the things i've learned there and trained him to be the horse that he is today cool so uh jumping jumping is what you love i do i love jumping disciplines um not competitively just Mm -hmm. western trail riding haven't done anything you know it's good for a horse to be well versed so i'll i'll grab the rope and go out and rope some stuff off my horse and (laughs) you know they have to be used to everything that's true yeah Yeah. cool so um 
so the George Morris Clinic. So how did that come about? Why why George Morris? Why this clinic? And I uh, I came here years ago when he was teaching a clinic here and I was just thinking if he ever comes back I'm going to try my hardest to apply and to to get in as I every it's everyone's dream to ride with George yeah right so hey not just mine (laughs) no it's it's everyone so like one of the other girls at my barn when she got off at the last day here she says like my dream is complete you know like Everyone looks up to him. He's like an equitation star, and you just learn so much. He's trained in classical dressage, and he uses all that in his training. Yeah. It's just, it's great. It is. It's amazing. Did you ever read any of his books? Um, I have not read his books, Mm -hmm. but I think that um, the way that he comes from, like, all the traverse and all the the dressage stuff that Mm -hmm. he trains in is yeah. what I've read yeah. and what I like my goals on flat work on horses and the base and things like that mm-hmm. I've always watched videos of him well I taught myself to jump through his hunter seat equitation okay and the then book? I went on to teach yeah then I went on to teach my students through his methods in okay. the hunter seat equitation so yeah. I would recommend reading that okay but I didn't know he had other books but anyway I digress. So how did you have to apply? What did you have to do to get into this? So I went onto the main events website and I was looking for the applications. I could only find the ones from last year because I, as soon as I heard that George was coming, I was like, I'm getting my application in right away. <laughs> so I actually filled out probably the 2017 application form just mm-hmm. to make sure I got it in. And yeah. they asked a lot of hard questions in there. So wow. you have to say... Um, what what you've accomplished in the show ring and you have mm-hmm. to say what your horse has accomplished in the show ring and what you've accomplished with without your horse in the show ring and mm-hmm. what your greatest five accomplishments as a rider are and what your horse's greatest accomplishments are wow. so it really makes you stop and think that's good and yes. um not necessarily just stuff in the show ring. Mm-hmm. So I use some other examples with my horse, like right. things like, you know, might not be like winning championships and winning all your classes. It could be like I went out and I did a jumper derby out on the cross country field mm-hmm. and did some natural obstacles, which mm-hmm. was a really good experience or right. things like that. So it's not all about winning. It's about what you've achieved. What you've achieved. And then they said, what do you want to work on? what what type of stuff do you like what are your weaknesses and so again that makes you really think and that's good and then you also needed to apply with a video of your horse so again which video do you want to show (laughs) so now is it you and your horse as a unit or can you use a different horse when you come or I believe it's you and your horse as a unit, so you're supposed to apply with the horse. Right. Um, there's always things that might come up if your horse ends up going lame before yes. the clinic or something. I'm sure they would be fine with you yeah. using a substitute horse. Mm-hmm. They can't say no, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, things happen, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me about uh, the difference between when you came and now you have completed three, well, two and a half days with George. Yeah. Tell me about your experience and how things have changed from when you started. Okay, well, he's very big on having two different length stirrups, 
right? Mm-hmm. So you come in with your flat length, which is about two holes longer than your jumping length. Mm-hmm. I really liked how he was getting us to, um, like, the flat work before the jumping. It Everything just kind of progressed and built upon at each other. Mm-hmm. So everything that we were doing in the flat, we applied when we started jumping. And then as we progressed through the jumping, you could... You could feel, as you're doing an exercise back and forth, you can start feeling your horse is stepping under himself and starting to shape and yeah. starting to jump better and come through. And, right. and then it, you, it, everything clicks and it feels good and yes. your horse is just like progressing. So when you rode before, did you used to ride your horse from the back to the front? I do. I always have tried to have a really good flat base on my horse. Being... Uh, sensitive to the leg and going in an uphill manner has been like kind of a main focus but Mm -hmm. I needed to work on being able to ride and jump in the two point because I do like to sit a lot (laughs) in my saddle so every time a lot of strength to ride that two point yeah so every every single time I jumped a fence stay out of the saddle stay in the two point (laughs) so I think I've uh it's what I'm going to be working on now yeah which is good and lengthening my reins out a little bit right well, if you want to really make that, if you want to solidify that, get rid of the stirrups and do the two-point without stirrups because I tell you, that'll really set your leg in oh, position yeah. too. We did one day with some no stirrups <laughs> and my legs are definitely feeling it today when I got up. It was a little bit painful. <laughs> no doubt. Well, that's great. So now where are you going to take this, all this good information that you've got, this practice? What's your next route? What are you going on to do? Uh, I hope for next year I'm going to be competing and working at the equitations and going in the mini CET because I'm too old for the big one. (laughs) So hopefully I can use all this stuff to just keep progressing, do well in the little CET class and other classes. And, you know, I think everything that he taught you, it's good for everything. It will apply to the hunter ring. It will apply to the jumper ring. Yeah applies to the equitation ring yeah no it's really super he well yeah. he has a wealth of knowledge right he like does. he's been everywhere he, he has he spoke all about that he's such a character oh he is <laughs> <laughs> he was a little hard on this last group <laughs> kind of uh, yeah. he's keeping them honest yes for sure and you is. come to a clinic you try you try what he tells you to do right yeah. you don't do your own thing you didn't come here to ride the same way you always ride you came here to learn and do something and and you know it's really funny um my husband said well I don't think I'd want to be in this class and I said you know I said George is is really hard on you but but he also comes around back around Mm -hmm. and picks you up yes yeah he talked about one of the riders being really green Mm -hmm. and he says you're really green but you're sharp yeah and he said and that's okay to be green I'm green I'm 80 and I'm green but you have to be sharp yes you know that was that was nice I've I've ridden with with worse instructors Well, it's so great of you to just take a moment and share your um, experience with our listeners. Yes, thank Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And best of luck with all of your future endeavors. Thank you very much. Thank you, Caitlin. 
I'm super impressed that a generation much younger than myself is interested in what George Morris is still to this day teaching. Mm. I remember watching George Morris teaching a clinic at the main event, Red Deer. And, you know, you guys talk about him in that uh, interview as being such a character. Yeah. And I remember him getting after one young man to just let his horse jump, quit being such a control freak. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You can just... You don't even have to ride in his clinics. Just sit sit down and enjoy yourself mm-hmm. listening. Anyway, if any aspiring jumpers out there truly want to reap the benefits of George Morris's methods, pick up a copy of his book, Hunter Seed Equitation. You won't regret it. Well, before sharing our interview with uh, Kara Chad, let's talk about some serious housekeeping stuff. Mm-hmm. If you don't know about it, Equinely Inclined has a Patreon page. And our Patreon support through Patreon is the only way, other than personal funds, for us to keep this podcast alive. Right. We look forward to more patrons and coming up with more ways to keep things interesting for them. So if you'd love to hear great interviews and horsey information, please help us to keep this podcast going. That's right. This podcast has a Patreon page so our listeners can help us by supporting our creation of the podcast. Check it out at patreon.com slash equinepodcast and you'll see there are posts there for paying patrons that our regular podcast listeners don't have access to. Indeed. So when we attend events, we shoot video and snap pics of behind-the-scenes happenings and share those with patrons. Yeah, I have some from the main event expo in Chilliwack, BC that I need to review and post. Mm Mm-hmm. I recently had to remove well over 100 past episodes because it's just too expensive to keep them stored on the server and to pay for the bandwidth of listeners downloading them. I'm going to have to pull down even more episodes, sad to say. Oh, and you know, those past episodes were really great. Mm-hmm. They include equine information and amazing interviews with top athletes and other industry players in the equine world. Well, the good news is that I'm slowly making these past episodes available for paying patrons. And like everything... It takes time. It does. And I have so many things I'd like to do for our listeners, both for the podcast and for the Patreon page, but I keep getting drawn to other small, non-horsey projects that can help pay for the bills. So every moment I spend on these other projects is time taken away from the podcast and the Patreon page and from your enjoyment. That's why we need more patrons. If you enjoy listening to the podcast and look forward to each episode, please become a patron and support the creation of the podcast with a pledge. Once again, you can pledge at patreon.com slash equine podcast. And we thank all our patrons so much for their support. Well, Diana, I don't know exactly how the interview with Kara Chad came about. Do you remember? That was in September. I feel so bad that we haven't <laughs> no. posted it yet. I absolutely remember that. She had just won her first major class at the International Ring. And I ran down to video her victory ride. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So we were actually lucky to pin her down because she was suddenly very popular. Oh, she had lots of interviews going mm-hmm. on. Oh, I see. Well, I love that Kara is homegrown talent, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I should mention that we do have actually a video on Patreon of the interview with Kara. Right, we do, yeah. And actually, our patrons would have seen that already. If, they have, if you haven't taken the opportunity, go there and have a look now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For now, let's see how Kara started out and where she is now. Let's. Hi, I'm here at Spruce Meadows, and I'm fortunate to have with me Kara Chad. And Kara is one of our younger riders in the major competitions here in Spruce. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, Kara. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'm probably one of the youngest competitors here yeah. at, at Spruce Meadows. So uh, I think the first thing our listeners would like is to hear a little bit about more about you, who you are, how you got into horses, etc. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I grew up here in Calgary. Um, my high school is 10 minutes away from Spruce Meadows. My ranch is 40 minutes away, so this is very, very local for me. Uh, I started riding very young when I was, I think, four years old or something like that. <laughs> uh, my sister and I both ride. Uh, she started, and uh, although she is a year older than me, she, she started, and then as soon as she was on a horse, I was so jealous that I, I, had, to, I had to get on a, a horse also. Um, yeah, my parents, they've been super supportive throughout my equestrian career, always promoting us to uh, compete at the highest level and, and have really been like the driving uh, force behind our careers. Nice. Yeah. So did you have horses in the family or? Uh, yeah, my dad he used to be a rainer, like used to do raining just as a hobby kind okay. of out near Square Butte, like right where our ranch is. So he's definitely had a background in horses and my mom also she grew up kind of around horses her dad was a big horseman over in north bay in ontario okay so uh she was with a big family and was always kind of on a farm dealing with animals and stuff so for sure it was in their background and yeah they raised us to do a, a bunch of different sports and we ended up choosing uh choosing riding <laughs> so yeah. nice well because then you've got a, a built-in partner <laughs> yeah exactly no my sister and I I'm, I'm very lucky to have to have her along my side um both riding sharing the same sharing the same sport always somebody to talk to and oh nice yeah. I wondered if your sister was still riding because of yeah. course I'm all focused on you right now. <laughs> yeah so. no she is she's also in Belgium we're both, oh, we're both over both there living in, mm-hmm. in Belgium and you've been there for a couple of years uh yeah and I'm going to assume that's because it brings you close to the action yeah it does I actually started working for Eric Lamaze two years ago and that required me to move there full-time and oh. uh, yeah and start working there so, so yeah. okay, and the rest is history. Yeah. So, so what does having Eric as a mentor mean to you? Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's like my inspiration. He's he's my boss. He's my friend. He's he's pretty much everything. He's allowed me to compete at uh, the highest level and and given me some incredible opportunities. So I really can't thank him enough for that. But just having him there every single day, watching him ride, learning from him every day, it's wow. you kind of for, you take it for granted sometimes and and then you wake up and realize <laughs> you're like this is pretty incredible that I'm I'm able to be here every single day with him. Now let's talk about this tournament that you're in right now, the Spruce Meadows Masters. So you started out on Wednesday with a very good day. Mm-hmm. You came in, what, 11th place once on um, Viva? Uh, yeah, in the meter 50 with Viva. I, with the telescope? With yeah, the, yeah, with the telescope. I was clear in the first round and then I had a bit of a mistake in the jump off. One rail in yeah, the jump exactly. off. <laughs> and that's what happens, Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. she's good. And then uh, it was the Akita Drilling? Yeah, the one, yeah, the Akita Drilling 160. Um, that was later that evening. I had two horses in that, Corona, and she was very good. We kind of used that as a bit of a, not a training round, but just a, a, a warm-up round uh, for the Nations Cup on Saturday. And okay, that's who you're riding? Yeah, okay. Corona. And then I also had 
Colfosco, my stallion, in that, and had just one down, but I was very happy with him. Yeah. So you finished in 11th place there, didn't mm-hmm. you, with Colfonso? Uh, with Corona. Or was it with Corona? Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, now, let me see. So then Thursday, things just got better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about what it was like to be riding in the Founders Classic. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, Spruce Meadows always puts on a great competition, and um, as it nears closer to the weekend, there's always more and more people, but uh, I rode Viva, a nine-year-old mare owned by Tory Pine Stable in uh, that in the 150. Big field. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was, there's for sure enough in the class and a, so a bit of a star-studded field for sure. So. Yeah, so there was there was quite a few in the jump-off. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, no, nine? Nine, yeah. Nine in mm-hmm. the jump-off. And uh, so going in there, you did not have the fastest time in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, how far down the line did you come in in the jump-off? Do you remember? Um, well, they usually, here at Spruce Mountains, they, they usually reverse. take the, no, not, not in that competition. They just take them in the order in which you qualified so the original order of go they just take it from that but I was third to go so early enough in the in the jump off and I kind of knew that there were some fast people behind me so I was just able to like uh put it all out there I guess and it worked out. Now so. it seems to me there was a couple of fences there and there was a two a, a double with yellow rails mm-hmm. as you were coming across towards mm-hmm. the west I saw you walk up to that one and check it out with your horse yeah right yeah why why did you choose that fence too? Uh, yeah Viva she's 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 only nine years old so she's still hasn't seen everything so I just wanted to make sure that she was confident going in there I knew in the jump off I'd be going in there with quite a bit of speed so I can't have her looking twice there if you know what I mean and then so she I just let her see it hang out there for a second take a breath and that was tough then, because it was over a wall first uh, it started on an oxer and then it was yeah a short roll back to a wall yeah yeah so it was an incredible uh, it was an incredible course not yeah. easy a very tight on time yeah no so, it was good so now did Eric have any great words of wisdom for you just before you came back in the jump off yeah Eric's great at his pep talks before you go in the ring he keeps it very short and very motivated and and you feel he gives you like pumps you up with confidence so it's exactly what you want to be going into going into a jump off I think he said to me something like go out there go do it you have to take chances to win and then just send <laughs> you out it. yeah exactly <laughs> so Excellent. yeah nice to know that he's watching from the sidelines yeah no he's he's one of my I mean he's so supportive and yeah so I'm very lucky to have him there so how did you feel when you won that class yeah no it's it's pretty exciting I mean like I said I went early in the jump off and so I felt like I did everything I could once I crossed those finish timers and then after that you kind of just have to wait and see but uh, and you're watching the clock with everyone who goes through <laughs> I, I actually don't like to watch too much so then you get a bit paranoid but um no you like you either I did everything I could and I knew that was all I could do so wherever I ended up I mean I obviously wanted to win but like wherever I ended up my you horse was excellent happy. and yeah. yeah so yeah well it was awesome and congratulations yeah. thank you yeah. thanks so moving forward you've got um what is it tonight the tourmaline cup yeah the, I have that on my stallion Colfosco okay. and uh yeah we go 13th I believe and class. he had his bit of a training round yesterday actually we actually went in there kind of full force the other day 
we had one mistake, but he was very good. So I think that this will this You're will be even better. You're looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's a pretty heavy-duty schedule you've got there, three horses, and keeping them all going throughout this tournament. Mm-hmm. That's a fair amount of work. Yeah, no, it is, but it's all they're all amazing horses, so it's all yeah. worth it. And then in the Nations Cup, you said Corona? Yeah. Okay, and then are you riding in the international? Um, in the, we're going to see, because the there's still a couple qualifiers to go. Mm-hmm. So if I end up qualifying, then we, we see. There's still, we have quite a bit of big plans in the next couple weeks. So just see what best what's best for corona mm-hmm. so lots to look forward mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. well we wish you all the best thank and you if, if there are people out there that want to see um and hear more about you or learn more uh where should they go uh on instagram i have it's just kara chad and then my the stable i work for tory pine stable actually has more social media so there's a couple that like you see videos and photos and all that kind of stuff but i also have a website which is also just my name karachad.com karachad.com yeah <laughs> k-a-r-a-c-h-a-d yes dot com kara thank you so much for your time i know that it's really busy you're full of poise <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> with all the work that you have to do this weekend <laughs> thank again you. thank you so much yeah no thank you i love that she said it's easy to take for granted something she has but when she stops to think about it It's really something very special. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that she talks about her sister as support. How special is that? I think it's wonderful that they're both together in Belgium. No kidding. That's really great. Well, I mentioned in one of our recent episodes that I was going to try to talk with someone who has been involved with show jumping at a high level for a number of years. I thought if I could connect with the right person, we could get a good sense of the history over the years. I have actually made that happen. Indeed you did. So this was our first, our very first remote interview, and it was a really interesting experience. And a lot of fun. Right. So the interview is with Jane Huddleston, and Jane is way over in Ontario, and we're in Alberta. And just like when you watch news announcers on the TV who are having to wait a second or two before they hear the questions and responses, that was kind of our experience, too. It was a little laggy, but, um, you know, I would take reduced quality of sound over no interview at all. (laughs) Yeah. Let's have a listen. Well, I'm here with Jane Huddleston, and uh, Jane has been around the show jumping world for many, many years. She has seen lots of changes, and I just thought she would be a wonderful person to have on one of our episodes to kind of give us an idea of how show jumping has changed over the years and maybe talk to us a bit about some of the historical record keeping, because I know that there have, some, have been you know, some questions around that in recent times with the World Equestrian Games. So Jane, welcome to our show. And can you tell us, or, or our listeners, a little bit more about Jane Huddleston, who you are, whether you have a history with horses or just show jumping, and how you got to uh, meet all kinds of high level show jumpers? Yes, I've been involved with the sport since the early 70s. Uh, I, I rode horses before that as a kid, but uh, didn't get involved at the sport level until the early 70s. And uh, then I did a bit of everything from uh, grooming and working with veterinarians and, and riding. And, and uh, then I, in the 80s, I moved, well, I was always interested in photography, so I moved into the media side as a photographer first. And then I've been a, a magazine editor and, and worked with CBC on the Spruce Meadows and, and other show jumping uh, productions. And 
Uh, I've been a publicist for Ian Miller and, and for the Canadian team at several Olympic Games and Pan American Games. So I've, uh, I've done a, a bit of everything in the sport. Uh, I uh, have uh, gone around the world to all the major competitions and to uh, four Olympic Games and, and uh, uh, Pan American Games and World Championships and about uh, nine or ten World Cup finals. Wow, I think that we, I think that I chose the right person to come to then. <laughs> so tell me, um, from the beginning times, uh, the show jumping, what was it like? How has it changed over the years? Wow, it, it's changed so much. It, it's almost like what hasn't changed. It would be hard to think of, of what hasn't changed. Everything from the the type of courses they jump and the type of horses they use and the formulas, the scoring formulas that they use uh, in the competitions and and the type of people that can do it because that's been limited by the really rising cost of doing it. And uh, there are really no true amateurs at the Grand Prix and international team level anymore. And we used to see them uh, much more. The, I remember a time when the Canadian team was three quarters true amateurs and, and professional riders were a rarity. So wow. almost everything about it has changed. The type of venues, the type of circuit they travel, and of course, the ways that horses travel. Yes, Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I know back in the day when I was watching, there was a lot of thoroughbreds on the circuit, right? For and sure. Yeah. All the North American horses pretty well were thoroughbreds or just any horse they could find that could jump. There were, you know, half-bred Clydesdales and, and there were Palominos and, and quarter horses. And they're, gone are the days when riders will give a horse a chance that might be able to jump. They, they really just go to Europe and buy horses that are bred for sport now. And that makes the cost go up. And Spruce Meadows uh, really raised the bar on prize money. And I, I see Spruce Meadows influence everywhere in the changes in the sport, both directly and indirectly. But uh, with the prize money, when you think if, if a horse can, can potentially win a million dollars in one day, then a horse dealer knows that he can charge considerably more for a promising prospect. So that really inflates the price of horses. Right. And even the horses that are out there that are that are great, well-bred horses are often quirky. And so, so some of the great horses really got passed over a few times before certain riders managed to hook up with them. Absolutely. The two greatest ones in Canada, Big Ben and Hickstead, are good examples of that. Right. I, I love it. And, you know, we recently did a um, an episode where we talked about Snowman down in the States. So he'd be a perfect example of the uh, ready-for-the-meat-market part heavy horse. Yes. Actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Diana, because um, I was just at the Chilliwack main event. Jonathan Field and George Morris did um, kind of like a fireside chat in the middle of the round pen, and they did talk about snowman and they had an awful lot to say oh, about they? that. Yes, they did. It was very interesting. So, yeah. So where do we go from here then? Um, 
you you wound up being at Gail Greeno's, uh, I think, at Gail Greeno's win in Aachen, Germany. Did you not? Yes, I sure did. I was the only Canadian photographer there, I believe. And <laughs> I uh, didn't know when I went there that I was going to be documenting such history. Really? <laughs> really? So tell us about it. Tell us about it from your perspective. And I know it's difficult to remember things from when you're behind the camera because you're so focused on what you're doing. Well, uh, I was also there to write an article about it, so I really had to take in everything. But uh, it was less less frequent in those days for Canadian writers to travel to Europe. They generally only did for things like World Championships and World Cup Finals. So uh, it was... Uh, a big deal and it was a big deal for Gail to be on the team because she was a relative rookie at the time. And uh, it was, you know, Germany is the, the center of, of great show jumping and Aachen is, is the, is a legendary venue. So it was an exciting time even without having a Canadian win, but uh, it was so unforeseen both having a woman win and having a Canadian win and she was also the first North American to win it. So uh, it was it, it, to say it was exciting is is just such an understatement. So this is where I'd love to say, Jane. One of the things that's changed, and uh, and you can talk a little bit about that, is the fact that at that event, Gail had to ride three other horses. Everyone yes. rode everyone else's horse. Yes, and she rode three really legendary horses. And watching what they used to call the final four, where where the the top four finishers rode each other's horses to determine the medals, uh, that was an exciting event in itself, even if you didn't know someone in it and it wasn't your team that was in it. Uh, but uh, to watch that one was was really spectacular because... Nick Skelton, being such a great rider, and his horse Apollo were already legendary and had already won so much. The same could be said for Conrad Holmfeld and Abdullah for the United States. And Pierre Durand and Jacques Loup were one of the true amateurs that used to ride at that level. He was a, a lawyer uh, to as far as making his living went, and, and he happened to have a great horse. And uh, Gail rode them all beautifully, but her horse didn't jump well for any of them. He had apparently never been ridden by a man before, and Nick Skelton was the first to get him, and Mr. T just took off with Nick, which was unbelievable because Nick is such an outstanding yeah. rider. And then uh, he he jumped probably the best for Conrad Holmfeld, but none of them mastered him, which was amazing because he was a horse ridden by an, an amateur owner, yeah, rider, I, really. A woman at that. <laughs> but, but that's interesting yes. that the horse, yeah, yeah, I mean, that happens, that horses get used to, a, you know, a different rider or a male, a female, a different style. Yeah, even just the weight. Yeah. Yes, and Nick is a very strong rider, and he was first to get on him and probably thought that it would be no problem. And uh, he learned very quickly that it was going to be a big so problem. He didn't ask politely enough. Yeah, no. <laughs> so can you take me back 
to the um, the air in the media room at that time when a woman won, um, a relative amateur woman from another country, another continent. What what was the air in the media room like? Uh, I would say somewhat disbelief and as much disbelief about how the final four unfolded as the fact that a woman had won and a woman who was unknown to the Europeans, largely unknown other than the Europeans who had come to North America a lot. So, yes, definitely disbelief, especially among the Germans themselves. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I know I remember exactly. I was jumping up and down. My heart was racing. I just couldn't believe it. I was just so over the moon about that. I remember it exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, did, uh, I remember I think that one as well. But I also just recently went uh, went on the Internet and, and got to YouTube and saw almost every round of the final four, and it was exciting. Well, I think one of the interesting things about the response, too, is that it did garner a lot of media response in Canada, which doesn't tend to happen as much now uh, when Canadian writers do very well at an international competition. It uh, it was a time when sport marketing was was newer and uh, there was more interest in sport and and it was pre-internet days when there wasn't so much information about so many things coming at people. Newspapers and magazines were really where they got their news. So there was a lot of attention when Gail arrived home at the airport and and in the weeks that followed. So I'm not not as sure about this, uh, but I'm just going to say it anyway. So I feel like the Canadians often don't have made horses. They make their horses. I feel like sometimes in the other countries, they are riding made horses because of whatever reason they're available or they have the money. Can you clear that up if I'm wrong? I think there's some truth to that. They they tend to buy them younger in Canada when they go to Europe to buy horses because, of course, they're not as expensive before they're They've proven themselves. Uh, in in Europe, uh, there's a mixture because a lot of the riders there grow up with fathers that are breeders and dealers, and so they they go through a lot of horses to find the right one. They're not buying them so much as raising them. So they end up with some outstanding horses, but it's because they have literally hundreds to go through to find the one that suits them. In the United States, they, they do tend to buy horses at a more advanced level in some cases, but not in every case. So in the situation uh, of WAG, would somebody of Gail's, uh, Gail's uh, skill level and horse, you know, that she had, do you think she would have been able to uh, qualify and make it in the WAG uh, that was just recently happened? Well, that's always such a big question. Would the horses of yesteryear, be the great horses of yesteryear, be able to make it today and the great riders of yesteryear? And it, it is a question that really nobody can answer because, as I mentioned earlier, the courses, the, the types of courses that they jump are, are very different. Uh, even the way riders are, are taught is different in, in many ways. Uh, the... Uh, 
the formula there has not changed so much, but the, um, for example, one aspect of formulas in, in your standard Grand Prix that has changed jumping dramatically is that speed is much more of a factor in a Grand Prix. So a good Grand Prix horse has to be what we used to consider a speed horse as well as a horse that can jump big. And we used to have really two types of competitions, ones that were about jumping big and ones that were about jumping fast over smaller jumps. And But a horse has to have it all now, and that's another thing that makes horses so expensive. So it's really almost impossible to compare what could have been with, with yesterday's horses compared to modern-day horses. So, Jane, maybe this is the point at which you could explain to people a little bit about why they wouldn't have the format that they had back in Aachen in 1986 with the four competitors riding each other's horses. Well, people have different opinions on it. It was always controversial, but it was a very popular spectator event. But one theory that a lot of people put out there is that with the price of horses today and most riders not owning their own horses but riding professionally, that to ask an owner to spend that kind of money and then suddenly have three other riders who they don't know who they'll be in advance and just suddenly get on their horse and and jump it over a course. Now, those courses that were used in the final four were always smaller than the the preceding courses that they had used to to qualify to get there. But still, uh, if you've spent potentially millions of euros on a horse, uh, do you want someone that's totally unpredictable and just you find out the night before who it's going to be getting on the horse? Right, there is the potential for disaster. I think that. Yes, and and injury, an injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean that. So it it still, I guess, happens on the junior circuit. You were saying. Well, yes, uh, I I see there was a competition at Royal West, a medal competition for young riders, where they switched horses last week, and and I'm not as familiar with the junior and young rider uh, classes, but I, uh, I I think it's still done sometimes in in metal equitation classes but uh i uh i don't know of anything at the grand prix or international team level yeah, where I it know. happens at the lower level it can happen with the juniors that are competing um nationally or internationally where they have to borrow horses because they just simply don't have the resources to get their horses across the country to a big event so that's that's totally different but that's Yes, that's a different kind of riding someone else's horse, and it's a different uh, supplier of horses. But I do know that I, I recall some disastrous results when horses were basically loaned to people that hadn't ridden it before and and, uh, yeah, and, and put a horse to a fence badly, and there were serious injuries. Well, um, Diana and I are all about inspiring young riders to go for their dreams. Now, it is making it very difficult to to get to high levels unless you have money uh, for horses, money for instruction, money for travel. What do we need more of to help young show jumpers 
um, in, in the world today? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I really don't have a good answer for it. I, uh, I mean, they all turn professional now. It used to be that professional writers were rare, and uh, then it, they gradually became more common as people saw that you could do something you love for a living. But now they're almost forced to turn professional to pay for it because they have to have money coming in from other sources to, even if they want to own their own horses, to pay for the Grand Prix level competing right. that's always with they the do. way with horses you have to have something else on the side that's making the money to help you <laughs> make do what you want with you know for your passion but um i i keep thinking that you know i mean when you when you go to something like the main event expo and you watch a, a show jumping icon like george morris uh, teach a clinic to these young riders and inspire them i mean that's that's a wonderful thing. It would be nice if we could have more of that kind of thing going on. But um, anyway, I just thought I would get your take on it. Sorry to put you on the spot. That wasn't really fair. But um, it, it just seems to me like it's something that we need to address in the world today for sure. I think stronger federations, both nationally and internationally, uh, I've, I've been a fairly outspoken critic of the federations and Part of that comes from seeing how federations in other sports operate and they take more control of the sport. And we operate in kind of a free enterprise industry where every competition operates as a, as a free enterprise that's uh, owned by someone who makes money by operating competitions. And they're scattered all over and they're not... Uh, regulated by the federation and even things like the figure skating federation will give out one television contract for all their televised events and that way they uh take some control of the quality of event that's getting televised whereas here it's simply between the event manager and the a television network if he can get coverage or if his sponsor can can contact the television network and get coverage right Oh, but on the other hand, Jane, is that is the do you think the same is true of every discipline? I have really so little knowledge of the other disciplines. I've covered the other Olympic disciplines at uh, several Olympic games, but I don't have the kind of in-depth knowledge of of any other equestrian disciplines other than show jumping. But the thing is that our federations spread themselves very thin because they're not only sports federations over the uh, governing the Olympic disciplines, but they're, they have the breeds and industry division of the federation that governs all kinds of non-Olympic disciplines and all kinds of other equestrian activities, such as breeding and, and other industry uh, type uh, activities. So, that's another way that our federation spreads itself very thin compared to a sports federation that's only dealing with an it Olympic sport. It has been sport. said that the horse industry is such a fragmented industry, and it's so true. I just don't know how it can be any other way because there's so many different aspects to it. It is very fragmented, 
And the International Federation really needs to take better control of the sport to make it more spectator friendly. We have so many conflicting competitions that cause confusion, like a a World Cup final, a World Equestrian Games that's really a world championship, and a global champions tour. So who really is the world champion? Because all of those titles sound like they're the world champion. Absolutely. Thank you for, for saying that, because that really kind of brings it around, doesn't it? It does, and and the Federation is just littered with confusing terminology like that. Yeah. Well, you know, Jane, I don't want to take up your whole day. It would be lovely to have a fireside chat with you for more. (laughs) But uh, uh, normally what we ask people is uh, whether or not um, they have some place that people can go to to find out more about them. But I'm not sure that you actually have an online presence or anything. Um, Am I correct? I don't anymore. Yeah, you are correct. I I don't have one anymore because I'm technically retired. Although I'm still a big fan of the sport, and I still keep my eye on things and and try to keep in touch with it. And and uh, uh, so I and I, I write the odd article here and there, but I uh, I I don't uh, have an online presence. Okay, uh, you are headed towards the uh, royal. Am I correct? Yes, I'll be attending there a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds uh, beginning Friday. Or are you going to be writing? Uh, just, uh, just attending, as far as I know. That sounds awesome. I would love to just do that. You know, like <laughs> anyway. Oh, it was just so great it's talking fun. with you, Jane. If we have thank you very much. If we have any other questions that we need to clear up, can we call you back again? Certainly. That's great. Well, thank you, Jane, so much for your insight. I I don't even know who else could give me that kind of insight and it, it was just wonderful to have that. Great. I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. All right. Well take care and have a fun time at the Royal Winter Fair. Well, yeah, it's always that's it's one of the great events that I think everybody loves from every country that comes there. Okay. Thanks, Jane. Thank you later. Okay. I didn't realize what a truly remarkable story Jane had to tell. Her passion for show jumping has taken her all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to hear her take on how difficult it is for young riders to enter the world of show jumping. Yeah, that was kind of nasty that I kind of surprised <laughs> her with that question. I'm yeah. so sorry. But when you two were talking about it, I couldn't help but think of Amy Dundas, you know. Oh, Amy. Mm-hmm. I chatted with her at Spruce Meadows when she was competing in the international ring years ago. Mm-hmm. And she told me she considered herself a little fish in a big pond. And her place was called Tadpole Farm. Right, very fitting name. Mm-hmm. And I was really sad to hear the terrible news that Amy was killed in a tragic barn accident in 2003. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason you brought this up is because Amy was that kind of a young rider who didn't have the, the money but was making mm-hmm. her way. She was making her own way. I remember her telling me that she was just a crazy jumping kid. Mm-hmm. And she took her pony down to the States where she could sell it for big money. After she had worked with it up mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And uh, and sold it to be able to get herself started on right. bigger horses and more competitive horses. And in the end, she actually um, had friends that 
gathered together to support her mm-hmm. and purchase a, a more competitive horse for her. Wow. So she truly was one of the people that was just up and coming. She you know, was. She made it into the in- international ring and we were looking forward mm-hmm. to uh, seeing her in the fall. I remember I was I was extremely distraught when I heard mm-hmm. about her uh, her accident. And I think about her all the time. I know, me too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, oh man. Well, I guess, uh, you know, we should talk about other friends that we have. We have um, some new friends sure. on the Facebook page. All right. We would love to give a big welcome to Cassie from Port Orchard, Washington. Huh. And Kelly Lynn from somewhere. <laughs> Not everybody posts where they're from mm, on yes. Facebook. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen from Chilliwack, B.C., and Sophia, oh, nope, Sophie from Richmond, BC. So stop by our page at facebook.com slash equinelyinclined and click on the like button and you'll hear your name when we welcome you at this spot in our next episode. And please remember this. Tell five friends about our Facebook page. When you do, you're helping others learn more about horses. And we love to help educate people about the many aspects of horses and other equines. Right. We love it when you share what you find on our wall and in our podcast episodes with others. If we want positive impact for horses in our world, it takes all of us to to help ourselves and others learn more about horses. So let us know what you thought of this episode and what else you would like to hear. Do you have an opinion on a horsey topic or is there one you wish for us to cover? Talk to us. Don't be shy. Go to www.facebook.com slash inclined and leave us a message on the page. So Diana, for our next episode, well, we're going to be at Farm Fair International this coming mm-hmm. weekend. And we're looking forward to catching some interviews there. I know we're going to see some old friends there too, I know. I'm sure we will. Mm-hmm. And our little piece of excitement is that we're going to listen to the opening remarks of the 2018 Royal Agricultural Society of the Commonwealth Conference. And Her Royal Highness, the Princess Royal, is going to be giving the opening remarks. Mm. And, <laughs> well, in our youth... Yeah, well, you know, she's only a few years older than I am. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and we always knew her as Princess Anne, the Riding Princess. Mm -hmm. Um, Media doesn't get to interview her, but I have submitted some equine-focused questions, and I'm hoping we're going to hear an answer back. And, of course, we have more interviews from the Main Event Expo in Chilliwack, B.C. Right. So make sure to check the Facebook page because we enjoy doing live videos and you never know what we might surprise you with. And please find a non-horse person you think might enjoy knowing more about horses and engage them in conversation. Let them know about everything we do. It would be great to have them join us on Facebook and as a podcast listener. It sure would. And one last message. A heartfelt thank you to all our patrons for their support. We couldn't do it without you. Oh, for sure. So until our next episode, bye from Sylvia Schneider and Diana Belbar. And give your horses big hugs for us.